God in a moment can snap his fingers and do anything he desires. I mean, you think that's one thing that really spoke to me about how quickly, I mean, literally, we went from the greatest economy in the last 50 years to boom, the highest unemployment since the Great Depression, just in a second. And we should be very aware of how quickly God can move. Samuel is the last judge and the first one to really operate in the gift or the office of the prophet in the sense of Isaiah and those, the minor prophets and the major prophets. By the way, how would you like to be known as a minor prophet? Just that's all your life. You're, you're the minor prophet. You're not a major guy. You're just a minor, right? I've just, anyway, Samuel, as a young boy, is taken to the temple and he is to serve Eli. If you think about it, I want to, we're going to read in chapter 4, I want to put this in context in our application. Samuel was miraculously conceived. His mother could not get pregnant, Hannah. And when I thought about that, I think about how many people in the scripture, both Old and New Testament, two things, barrenness and famine, God uses over and over and over again to show his miraculous provision, his miraculous resurrection of of a dream or a desire. And so you look at that, and that's one of the things I believe God's design is, even in our season, and that's what I want to talk to you tonight about, is what is God saying to us? What is God prophetically speaking to our hearts And one of the things is, it's a time of famine. It's a time of barrenness. It's a time where things are not normal, and yet that's a time where God normally brings life out of that. So, I mean, you look at the people that were barren and the children they produced. Patriarchs, prophets, the forerunner, John the Baptist. Amazing things. The second thing is we find out in these first couple chapters of Samuel is Eli's son. Eli was the priest or was the judge and he was the priest and he, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were evil. They did things like took the sacrifice before it could be given to the Lord and take the best portion. They also had temple prostitutes And Eli did nothing except, guys, you're giving the family a bad name, basically. You can always tell when God begins to move in a family because he allows God, God allows things to come to the surface so that he can deal with it. And it's easy to talk about somebody else, but when when the roosters come home to roost, then it's really like, what are we going to do? We're challenged, and I'm not talking about being self-righteous, because the third thing is this. Eli, twice in the first three chapters, decades apart, but twice is warned by God, please deal with your sons. What they're doing is wrong. And he so is nonchalant, just kind of blows it off. It's like it's no big deal. I mean, a prophet comes to him in chapter two and says, this is going to happen. Your family line is going to be snuffed out. There's not going to be any record of your family line. And then Samuel, as a young boy, probably in his teenage years, when he first begins to hear the voice of God, if you remember the story in chapter 3, three times the Lord speaks to him, and he doesn't hear, 
he doesn't understand the voice of God yet. And he runs to Eli and he says, yeah, it's in the middle of the night. Yes, are you speaking to me? And Eli finally the second time says, if the Lord speaks again, wake up and say, your, your servant is listening. And so that's when Samuel began to hear the voice of God. But what he heard was the same prophetic word that God had told Eli before. And he was nervous as a young man. He is serving this man and he's freaking out. He's nervous and saying, well, how can I handle, or what happens if he asks me? And sure enough, Eli the next morning says, what did the Lord speak to you? And you can just see this young man kind of, Swallow, and he says, no, you must tell me. And he says, uh, you're all gonna die. <laughs> you've done evil in the sight of the Lord and you've done nothing to try to corral your sons except slap them on the hand. You've been more worried about your family lineage than you are about the things of God. And again, Eli, this is what he says. Peter's paraphrased. Well, if that's God's will, it's God's will. I mean, I don't know about you or me, but if, some, if God spoke to me through two different sources and said something terrible is gonna happen to my family, guess what I'd be doing? I'd be on my face. I'd be fasting and praying. I'd be freaking out. I'd be trying to get things right. But Eli's just so nonchalant. It's no big deal. Hophni means two-fist or a boxer, and Phineas means mouth of brass or mouthpiece of the serpent. These guys were evil, evil guys. It's just, and yet nothing was done. So in that context, some encouraging words. That context, we're gonna read 1 Samuel chapter four. And Samuel's words went out to all of Israel. And at that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines and the Israelite army was camped at Ebenezer. So we remember what Ebenezer stands, or the, what it means, the definition? Peter's paraphrased, it means this, so far, so good. This far, God has led us. This far, God has been with us. It was a marker. It was a, a time. And you know what? Sometimes we need to put markers in, in our lives. This far, this is what God did for us. You know, that's why I do like journaling, but I thank God that Jesus didn't journal. Or doesn't say, thus the Lord journaled, because sometimes, I, I don't know about you, but I ebb and flow in my journaling. But the fact is, we need to put signposts and markers so that future generations can see this far the Lord led us. So they're at Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Aphek, which means stronghold or fortress. And the Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, and they killed about 4,000 men. And after the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? If things aren't going right in your life, there's nothing wrong with stopping and asking the Lord the question. But if you're gonna ask the question, then wait on God for the answer, okay? And what they do, listen. Then they said, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant from the Lord, of the Lord from Shiloh, which means peace, if we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherub. And guess who went and got it? Hophni and Phinehas. The sons of Eli were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp with their shout 
of joy was so loud that it made the ground shake. Revival is breaking out in the camp. An earthquake, the ground shook because of their joy. And when the Philistines heard this, they go, what's going on? What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? And when they were told it was because of the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We've never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods. See, they knew the story. They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up and fight like men. So the Philistines fought desperately and they were totally wiped out. No. And Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 soldiers died that day and the survivors turned and fled to their tents and the ark of God was captured and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Uplifting COVID story. There's some principles here. Israel asked the right question. Why is this happening to us? And my fear for the church is that we ask the right question. What is God doing? What is God saying? What is God speaking? How many know we need the prophetic voice in the church? Right? And prophet doesn't mean tomorrow at this time this is going to happen only. The prophetic word is what God is speaking. What God is saying. And so... In this, they had a history in Eli's time of listening, but God wants to take us from the why to the who. And if you've heard me speak before, this is a theme of mine. God wants to take us from our why questions to who. What is God doing? Who is is speaking to us? Because sometimes we will never have the answer to our why, but we'll always have the support and the presence of the who, of God. Israel really didn't want to clean house and wait and listen. They treated the presence of God, the ark of God, like a magic charm. And throughout history, the church and God's people have done this. Remember the snake that was sent through the camp by the Lord and bit people and killed a bunch of Israelites, what did they do? They bronzed the sucker like we do shoes for babies, put it on a post, and worshiped it centuries later. Throughout church history, God moves a certain way, and we worship that event instead of the God who did the event. Follow me? It's so true, and the danger for the church is this that we miss what God is doing and something worse befalls on us. It's quiet. It's the truth. If we study church history, that's why I love the Old Testament. That's why I read it from cover to cover every year because we don't understand the new until we understand the old and we don't understand the old until we understand the new. 
God wants us to know this. Some legalistic religious response that worked before is not what God is after now. We believe that he's doing a new thing. I heard all these prophetic words. It's 2020. It's, you know, four times five, which means double grace, quadruple grace. That's what I was hearing from people at the beginning of the year. I didn't hear it. I, I didn't hear either. Like, you know, March is going to all, heaven's going to break loose. And so I just want us to understand, so many times we do what worked before. And it just, it, when I read this, the word for us today is we need the prophetic word. Israel at this time had the Pentateuch, had the five books of the first five books of the Bible. They had the oral history of Joshua. They had the oral history of the judges to this point. They were without excuse. We need to be reminded of what God said, but we need to find out what God is speaking now. A now word. Amen? A now word, not what worked before. I think we need to study the first two great awakenings in America and see how God moved and rejoice and maybe take some of the principles. But what is God speaking to us as a congregation? That's why if you're part of Vintage, God is speaking something to this church specifically, I believe, because we have a place, we have a time, we have a season that God is moving, and it's unlike, and it's not that other places God's not speaking, but God is speaking a different word there because there are different people there. What is God saying to us? Let me tell you what happens the rest of the chapter. The ark is captured by the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. When Eli hears the news, he is so old and overweight that he falls backward on his chair and breaks his neck. Awesome way to die. <laughs> the ark is captured. Phineas's wife gives birth to a baby boy that same day. And when she hears the story, she names the baby Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed, or where's the glory? Because to the Israelites, the ark meant everything. The ark meant where God resided. The mercy seat is where God forgave sin. That's where God moved. And now the ark was removed from them. Everybody look at me for a second. God may remove some religious exercise from your life. I've met people that are in trouble, and I even do it myself, and it's like, I've got to pray more. That's, that's the answer. I've got to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I need to know what the story and the text says. I, I need to go to church more. I, I need to hang out with God's people more. What is God saying? Are, am I the only one that's guilty of just falling into something that worked before? God is not asking us to do more. What happens next is the Philistines, is, the ark is captured, it's taken into their temple. I absolutely love this story. Chapter 5 is one of my favorite in all of Scripture. The ark is taken into the temple of Dagon. Why? Because their God conquered the Hebrew God. The God that 
overthrew the Egyptians, the God that caused the plagues, the, the God that did all of these things is now in their presence because to them, God was an object. So the ark is placed before Dagon, which means, Dagon means the fish god. It means the, every, every pagan nation or people have had a Dagon. It's, it's the ultimate god that provides, and they live by the sea, so they had a fish god because that's where their sustenance came from, and that's how they made money because of their ships, and so they, they were a wayfaring people, but also they were a fishing people, and so they had a fish god that had the body of a fish, the head and the arms of a human. And so the first morning after the ark had been placed in there overnight, they came and the Dagon had fallen before the ark. They never said, that's strange. Why did the our God fall before their God. So what did they do? They just prop him up again. I love Isaiah where it says, you take a piece of wood, half of it you cook your breakfast on, and the other half you make an idol. Isaiah says, Is, don't you see the foolishness of that? That half of the, the log that you carved your idol, you cooked your breakfast over. You chopped it up and made kindling and, and cooked your breakfast, and the other half you, you worship as a god. Dagon falls before the ark. So they prop it up, and then I love this. The next morning they wake up, and Dagon had fallen and broken his head off and his arms. You ever ask yourself, that's a cool story, but why head and arms? Because Dagon can't see can't hear, can't speak. Dagon can't act. Idols can only, in our mind, provide something for us or through demonic power. But God is the one who speaks. God, is a, as, as Hagar found out, was a God who sees. God is a God who moves on our behalf. He broke off their head and 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 his arms, and I think it's interesting, then he gave the people tumors. Study those tumors on your own. Find out what kind of tumors they were. Uncomfortable tumors to sit. Tumors. And they said, we've got to get rid of this ark because it's going to destroy our God and our people. And what I was struck with here is this. God doesn't need anyone's help. Did you hear what I said? That should set you free. God doesn't need your help. God wants your heart. God doesn't need your help. He wants your life. God doesn't need Gary Peters. He wants Gary Peters' heart. He wants Gary Peters' life. He wants my surrender to him because when he has that, guess what? Then he will use me to bring about what he needs on this planet. That's why I talk when I, when I do marriage counseling and couples come and it's like, she's not doing this, he's not doing that, he's not doing this, she's not doing that, and I say, they're not supposed to. God is. 
God's your ultimate source. And then once you understand needs are met by him, he releases spouses. He releases people. It amazes me that Israel brought their God into the camp and God is saying, I don't need your help. I'll take care of the Philistines in a couple of days because after it's at Ashdod, they're like, oh my gosh, let's send it to Gath. Let's send this present to Gath. And they send it to Gath, and the same thing happens. Tumors break out. And then they say, let's send it to another city. And they send it to another city. And what happens? God's judgment breaks out there. And they finally go, this God's going to bring us the downfall of us. We've got to get rid of it. It amazes me they never said Maybe this God should be our God. But beloved, what God is asking us tonight as vintage, as believers in Fort Collins is not only ask the right question, wait for the right answer. Don't rely on religious legalism, religious acts that once worked. You know, when my kids were growing up, there was a, we had a rug that my son, he started walking at nine months, and he'd run down the hallway and hit that rug and trip. And I didn't slap him upside the head and say, why are you tripping on that rug? You're nine months old. You should be walking better than that. No, we moved the rug until he learned how to negotiate the rug. God is telling us maybe he's moved the rug and now it's time to negotiate the rug. There's something new that he's doing. Don't rely on what worked. A lot of us in this room have served God for many, many years. We have a lot of incredible testimonies. But maybe God wants to do something different than what he did before in your life. And the second thing is this. Don't think you're going to help God out. He just wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, he has your life. And if he has your life, he has your help. But we mix it up. We think we gotta help him first. And he has gone to great lengths in this season, the last three or four months, to show us, I'm God. I can shut down the economy of Italy. I can shut down the economy of Germany. I can shut down the economy of the United States. I can do whatever I want to because he wants us to know he's God alone. I want God to judge the Dagons of this world, not people, the false deities. Anybody with me? I want him to show himself strong. But you know how he's gonna do that? By capturing our heart and using us to display his glory to a lost and dying world that doesn't have a clue that they're lost and they're dying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, you speak over and over and over again in Scripture that you are God alone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord And he is God. God, help us to be people 
that don't rely on some religious exercise, but rely upon the God who brings about change in our life. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are doing something new. We ask, God, that we as people of vintage, people of Fort Collins and Loveland, surrounding area, that, God, we would be people of your presence to spend time with you, to hear your voice, and that you would speak so clearly to us. We thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you. See you Sunday, maybe.